Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. New month, Monday, May 1, and this is exciting, man. This is the start of a new routine that you can get into every week. Dodger right-hander, two-time All-Star, World Series champion 2020, Walker Bueller, the weekly guest slash guest host uh, on the Just Baseball show every Monday. You'll hear from Walker in a moment here, Jack McMullen, Peter Apple. We will recap the weekend that was in major league baseball after we talked to bueller uh we'll also walk through five guys that peter has his eye on that you know are kind of unheralded like i don't want to say stars but they're having nice seasons when you wouldn't expect it from them but star of the show walker bueller very exciting man i'm amped are you I am so amped. And Walker is a guy that uh, all three of us here on the Just Baseball show have been following for a while and just showering him with praise because we think when healthy, he is easily one of the best pitchers in the entire sport and one of the best pitchers in the last half decade. If you look at the All-Star appearances, you look at the World Series appearances, you just go through the line and Walker Bueller has been nothing but nails. It's going to be so much fun to be able to break down the game with him every monday for the foreseeable future he's also funnier than hell and like doesn't pitching ninja call him walker f and bueller because he would like drop f-bombs on on occasional interviews and everything like he is a he's filtered for sure but he's as organic as you get in terms of baseball personality and we're really lucky to be the place that he can show that off and i know that he did some uh you know studio stuff for fox during the postseason when he was hurt but, I mean, this is a chance for Walker Bueller, one of the best pitchers in the game, like you're saying, 
to get his thoughts out there on the game on a weekly basis. This guy shared a clubhouse with Clayton Kershaw for his entire career. Let's talk about the best lefty of all time, man. Let's dive into like who he thinks the best arms in the game are right now, most uncomfortable at bats. And hey, like let's validate some guys that are showing out right now because who better to talk to uh, than a guy that has gone through it as a player and as a really good player. Not only that, it'll be great to track his progress yep. and his rehab. You know, he's a guy recovering from Tommy John surgery, um, a pitcher who I know Dodger fans who are listening to this for the first time want back immediately, and they could definitely use him. Yeah, for all our new listeners, hi, I'm Jack. That's Peter. You're going to hear from Aram on the Walker conversation as well. Uh, we're the co-host of the Just Baseball Show. We're the co-host of the Just Baseball Show. You can find us on social media at just baseball show on instagram at just baseball fans on tiktok and at just bb underscore media we started this podcast april 1st of 2021 yep. and we've been doing our episodes monday through friday ever since just talking ball now we don't claim to know everything but we try our best to give you our best baseball knowledge possible and now we get to add walker bueller to the fold to just kick us out of the room and show us what he's got well, and I know next to nothing. So this is going to be really nice to like learn things because you're the one that kind of mansplains baseball to me and I just take yep. it. Yeah, so, I do know everything. We're chilling. Um, all right, Peter and I will be back after the Bueller interview uh, for a weekend wrap up and some unheralded players. But now Dodger right-hander, Walker Bueller. We got him, the king of the yeesh on Twitter. Also, by the way, Dodger right-hander Walker Bueller. This is uh, Monday number one of what's going to be an awesome season talking to Walker every single week. You got me, Jack, him, Aram, and him, Walker Bueller. First and foremost, man, um, I know Aram already said, you know, thank you to you before we hit the record button, but thank you again. Like, this is great for our audience. It's great for us. Uh, and I'm sure that it's great for you too. And, and when we first started talking about this partnership, Obviously, we got excited, right? We know what kind of personality you are. We know what kind of pitcher you are. But what got you wanting to do things like this? Um, I don't know. Kind of a, a lot of factors, to be honest. By the way, thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here as well. But um, no, a lot of things, man. I, I think it's kind of cool. Obviously, you know, podcasting has been something that has blown up pretty pretty recently in in, in a time frame where I've become a listen to a podcast every day on the on the drive kind of guy. So um you know i think first and foremost it's just an interesting format and an interesting way to to kind of learn things or, or learn different perspectives and whatnot and um really i guess seeing you know i got to know taylor lawan a little bit through through our rehab we had the same surgeon and, and kind of cross paths that way and seeing how the how the athlete thing can can cross over into doing this i think um just something I, I wanted to give a give a shot and, and hopefully I'm not too bad at it. I, I showed you earlier I've got notes and everything. So uh, I'm trying to do a decent job on this thing. I love yeah, it. I missed the I missed the notes. I hopped in a few minutes late. So full disclosure, not a big hockey guy, uh, but <laughs> the Panthers are are pushing it to seven against the Bruins. So I was watching that, saw the time, jumped over here, was really excited to get on. Missed the notes segment. I didn't realize that's some that's some high level preparation. I'm I'm loving that. Well, I'm excited to just talk about everything from every angle in terms of you gave an awesome update yesterday on, you know, what's going on with you in the rehab and we're going to be doing that every week, which I know is really cool because 
you know, it seems like in this like era where there's a lot more at people's fingertips, a lot more information that can be put out very quickly, can be a good thing and a bad thing. So I think it's a really cool opportunity for you to kind of provide your own updates, provide your <laughs> own information and, you know, be your own reporter, uh, which I think is really cool too. So I'm excited from all lenses, from the, the insight that you can provide to also just getting the Walker updates. So, you know, again, <laughs> I'm really excited about that and I appreciate that as well. Natural yeah, no follow-up, natural follow-up. How do you feel? Like rehab wise, how are right. you? You know what? I, that's the question I get. Obviously that's like the question, right? And, and I feel really good. I think our organization does rehabbing about as well as anyone, you know, there's four, four guys that have, have played in the big leagues a lot that are rehabbing with us right now. And two of them are from or, other organizations. Right. So um, I think from our perspective, we have a lot of confidence in, in the guys here in Arizona to, to get guys back on the field and, um, me being one of them, we have a good little, we have a good little group and, you know, we play ping pong and, and whatever to try and stay a little competitive, but, um, uh, no, I feel good. I, I think when I've been thinking about it, the weirdest thing to me is that this being my second one in, I guess, eight years, like, I don't remember half of what I thought I would remember. And I, I'm like, so mad at myself that I didn't take notes like daily in 2015 and 16, trying to. Um, you know, if this ever happens again, here's how I can calm myself down and read that everything's going to be okay. And, um, but honestly, I haven't had too, too many scary days so far. And, and we're about to kind of go into the next phase where you start throwing back to back days. And I'm probably conservatively six weeks from the mound in, in some form or fashion, whether that be bullpens or, or just starting to get some throws off of it. So, um, that's kind of the next big, uh, big milestone, I guess. So, you know, maybe in six weeks, we'll have a, a better update on that. Love it. Uh, before we get any farther, you are from Lexington, Kentucky, heart of bourbon country, big bourbon yep. guy. You're headed back to the Commonwealth for the Derby next week. You're going to the Kentucky Derby. I do want to talk about authentic at the end of this episode, uh, or maybe, uh, you know, next episode on the heels of the Derby, but, um, we're going to do a thing every week where we've got the golden elixir and, and mm -hmm. we're going and we're doing Buffalo trace, uh, this week. Aram and I were talking earlier today. Um, when I drink bourbon, it tastes good and it makes me feel funny. That's why I like bourbon. <laughs> I think Aram, that's kind of his same deal. So we're both yeah. relatively novice. Um, I need you to tell us about each product we're tasting, man. So tell me about Buffalo Trace. Okay, so this one, first week, inaugural episode, we're going good old Buffalo Trace. Um, not an ad, as you can see. This is just what I like. Fair. Um no, so Buffalo Trace is the oldest uh, running distillery, one of the oldest businesses in the country, just because they got a, oops, they got a permit to do medicinal during Prohibition. So they have been <laughs> running forever and, uh, you know, have, have gone out there and done the tours and stuff. One of the coolest, uh, I guess, experiences with everyone, everyone from out of town that was invited to my wedding was invited to a Buffalo Trace tour. So that was like before our rehearsal dinner. So we had like a hundred people at Buffalo Trace running around before the rehearsal dinner. That is awesome. That is really cool. I, I didn't even know. I, I, I always thought prohibition was one of the more wild, you know, concepts in our history, <laughs> but I didn't know they were pulling the medicinal card like they do with, with weed nowadays. I didn't know that was an angle yeah. for for alcohol back then that's that's pretty cool so these are the things that we don't know i was going to follow up though with like what am i looking for in the taste and like we'll do this like virtual cheers yeah uh because i i, I 
know what tastes good. I know what, like, which I prefer, but I don't necessarily know why or how it got there, if that makes sense. Right. And again, it's like, we're, we're novices when it comes to that. So Walker, right, I'm, not, I'm not an, I'm yeah. not a big time expert. I, I'm kind of a, I, so there's bourbon and then there's rye bourbon. Those are or rye whiskey. So it's probably the two, the easiest way to separate them. Um, then I, I prefer bourbon to rye. I don't know why I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm not going to be able to sit here and tell you like I, this one tastes more vanilla -y to me or whatever. That's probably the only note that I can recite. Yeah. Um, but I just prefer the bourbon stuff. And then I, there's a subset of that called weeded bourbon, which is probably um, most of my favorites are, are weeded. So it just, it all varies depending on how much percentage of corn and weed and, and rye, whatever they use and what's called a mash bill. So what they, fill it up with to to make the stuff we were talking earlier today and you know we were trying to think of like the right way to brand this like name it and this is pretty much like walker's tasting room so at some yep. point in the next couple of weeks i want you to like get super deep into like all the buzzwords like hey okay really <laughs> I, I need punch. I need oak. I need okay. oak. Oak is a big one. That's the only one I know. And, and I, yeah, I don't I'll just, know what it means. I think I'm going to have to just Google like what the experts say and then I can start reciting some of that. But um, no, I think the, the biggest endorsement of, you know, I don't have the buzzwords yet, but Buffalo Trace is, is definitely my wife and I is like um, in the bourbon thing, they call it like your daily drinker. So something if you're going to go have one, you know, a glass before dinner on Monday, like that's the one. So it's for 25 or 30 or 40 bucks. It's probably about the best you can get out there in my opinion. Aram, what do you think? I like it. I, I wish I could break it down any better. Literally for me, it's just like, can I drink it? And I don't like gag a little bit and <laughs> yeah. I enjoy drinking this one. So like there's, I, I was telling the story before we recorded where uh, my, my girlfriend's dad in the past, like broke out like the good stuff. And I took the first sip and I'm like, this burns so bad. And I got to pretend it's good. I got to pretend yeah. I'm not miserable. Like it tasted all right. But like, if you wind it up blind taste test, no way I know this is, this is a stuff right here. It's affordable and you can, you can make it work. And again, not an ad, which is the craziest part. Um, it's just good stuff. No, yep. man. Not good. Let me ask you, how did you, any ice in there? How did you do it? I do, I do need the what ice. Kind of I do need did the you ice. do? Yeah. I do the see, one I'm gigantic gonna... ice cube. Those watching on YouTube can see. We got the big ice cubes in the fridge. I, I still need the ice. If I go no ice, it's a little, little too much burn for me. I love one big ice cube and I'm I'm in business. And it's kind of shameful for me, but I'm like a on the on the rocks guy. I don't I'm not a big straight up guy. Um for nice stuff, you want to at least try yeah, it like that. Is that, and, like, and it, then... is that like a party foul? Like will I, will I be looked at like a little funny if I have the nice stuff and I put a put an ice cube in it? Um, yeah, like if I have people over or something and I want them to try one of the nice bottles or something, my expectation is that they will not put ice in it. So I, I think there's probably like a unconscious dollar figure that you kind of, <laughs> hey, you don't put ice in this until you've at least like tried it. That's fair. So my That's workaround cool. is my workaround is the stones that you put in the yep. freezer. Um, I've got Whoa. I've got some stones in here. So Aram, let's get you some stones, man. I didn't even uh, know that was a yeah. thing. Oh, oh, yeah. First oh time yeah. That. So it doesn't melt. Yeah. Um, all right. Jumping back into the baseball, man. I, I'm curious how you're filling the time. Like, obviously, you're watching every Dodger game and you're you know, putting the tweets out for every Dodger homer. How much baseball in general are you watching? Like, is this one of those moments where you're itching and you just need more ball in your system or is it a, a time to get away? 
Yeah, I, I would say I probably watch 60% of the pitches of every Dodger game. Obviously, we go to dinner, X, Y, Z. If I'm at home, different timing, whatever. Um, I probably watch 60% of it, which is about what I end up watching when I'm playing anyway, because we're running around and, and doing stuff and, and trying to get some stuff done during the game anyway. But uh, yeah, I watch a fair amount of our games and, and really I kind of watch highlights in the morning, but uh, you know, keep tabs on, on guys I know or uh, just kind of see who's, who's rolling. So um, yeah, I watch a decent amount, probably more than, more than the average person, but probably less than you might expect. Um, you know, I'm, I'm playing a decent amount of golf. That's like one of the other big milestones you start throwing and then they let you play golf. That's like the next thing. So, um, I'm getting ready for my member guests at home with my dad. So that's, it's kind of cool, man. One of the, I guess, silver linings, obviously we want to be healthy and go play, but, um, you know, being able to do stuff that, that you can't do during the season and the Derby, one of those. And, and then this will probably be the only member guests I get to play in at home and, until I retire. So. Yeah. Um, my dad's been playing, getting ready. So we're excited for that as well. That's cool. And, and there's always like those, those little, little silver linings of things that like when you, you forget how much of this, the calendar is wiped out for you during the season, I'm sure as a right. baseball player and an active player, w- what has been like the biggest difference for you in terms of watching the games? Again, you're, you're one out of every five days you're, you're playing in it. So it's kind of similar from the other 80% where you are watching. You mentioned it's about the same amount. But what's the biggest difference for you watching from the dugout versus on your television? Like, is there any difference for you, like how it feels, how involved you are? Like, is there any fundamental like change in the way that you feel when you're watching the games like that? Um, I mean, I so the little difference, right, is is going to a live game. You have the live experience and go get a hot dog and, and a drink or a beer or whatever. And uh, we don't really have that in, in the yeah. dugout. So I think one of the big things for me is being able to see everything on on TV and from behind the picture and not kind of the side view thing. So um, it's kind of, you know, I prefer to, to see a pitcher throw from behind or whatever. So um, that's kind of a cool part of it for me. And um, you know, to, to kind of be a fan and, and be able to listen to the broadcast and get a little bit different perspective on things and, and just not necessarily that you don't know it, but just stuff that you wouldn't be thinking about because somebody else's perspective and, and point of view, right. Um, is kind of cool for, for me, for sure. It's gotta be cool for you too, to have oral Hershiser there. Right. I right. mean, like you, you got oral talking about Clayton Kershaw when, when Kersh is just going, man. And I know that Aram wants to talk about Kershaw mm-hmm. right now, but um, you know, like hearing oral and you've gotten to know him, I'm sure oral and Joe Davis and Steven Nelson doing some filling stuff now. Um, I mean, hearing that guy talk pitching for all these guys that are taking the hill, right. Kershaw, how about Julio? How about Gonsolin who's back now? And then in the bullpen, man, like Vesia, Evan Phillips, Almonte, are you picking stuff up from oral Hershiser as a guy that like is in the dugout with all these guys? Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the cooler moments for me at the time, right? So I think it was spring of 2016. I was in minor league camp and kind of didn't really know that Oral was as uh, involved in our organization as he is. Yeah. And uh, got to go over and, and just talk for like an hour. We sat on a golf garden and, and talked pitching and um, kind of developed a relationship after that, obviously the next few years and, traveling around and stuff oral's a oral's a really fun dude joe davis big bourbon guy so joe and i talked about that more than anything but 
Um, yeah, those guys do a great job. And, and obviously Joe is kind of one of those shooting stars in the, in the announcing deal where he's doing football and this and that. And, um, you know, I, I think with Vin Scully stepping out of the job, I think it would have been difficult on anyone for, to step into those shoes, obviously. And, um, Joe has kind of carved out this way of, of being, you know, the first Joe Davis instead of the, the next Vin Scully and, uh, cause no one is ever going to be that. So, uh, no, those guys are awesome. I feel like there's like a level of appreciation. I, I love what you said there about like the first Joe Davis instead of the next Vince Scully. I think in sports, we really see that a lot in terms of like, you know, the comparisons of this player to that player and that player to this player. And, you know, typically the answer that you get from players of your caliber, I want to be the first Walker Bueller. I don't want to be somebody else. And, uh, you know, when you were getting to Los Angeles and, you know, starting your, you know, rise as a star as well, it, there's a lot of comparisons I'm sure that are thrown out. You didn't have like the uncanny, you know, just older guy that kind of preceded you, but I'm sure there were a lot of expectations hurled your way and a lot of things, you know, kind of said here and there. Um, yeah, generally speaking, I see a lot of players kind of unplug from media for that reason, kind of just try to keep the tunnel vision and, you know, try not to put any more pressure on their plate. How was that for you? Like, did you, did you, uh, were you a kind of an unplugged guy in the past? And now that you've kind of gotten more established and more settled in, and now in this phase of your career, obviously looking to get more involved and we saw you in the playoffs and you're doing this with us now, like, has that been a, a change over time or have you always been kind of okay with being able to, you know, manage the, the loud noises of, of what comes with playing for a Los Angeles franchise and, you know, all of the expectations that come with being, you know, at the top of your game, really from college to early minor leagues to early big leagues and, and onward. Yeah. I've always been a guy that kind of has a weird agreement with myself. If I'm going to read the good stuff, I, I'm going to read all the bad too. Um, and, and I've done that really. Um, That's crazy. So, you know, I, two games in Atlanta, I've blown in the playoffs, like read every, read everything. Um, games in the world series where I've thrown good, read everything. I, I think for me, at least one of the biggest things in college that, that Tim Corbin talks about is staying in the middle, right. And, and learning how to kind of ride both those waves and, and end up in the same place. And um, I'm just one of those guys that wants to be as high as, as I can be and as low as I can be. Um, because I think that movement towards the middle is, is more significant. So when I'm really good reading all the good, right, you ride that for a day and, and then you've got to get back to a certain place and, and kind of discipline yourself in that way. And, and when you're really low, things have gone terrible, you know, at times in, in everyone's career and, and mine, you know, is not exempt from that. Obviously I get, I get to see that Acuna Homer probably once a week on Twitter <laughs> that I gave up in Atlanta. So, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see the stuff. And, and I think I just made kind of the conscious decision to, to somehow at least make a deal with myself on how I was going to handle it. And, um, you know, it, it can be tough and and it can be, too much too you can you can pull a little too much ego from from no offense with some guy who doesn't really understand what's going on and and um you know says you're the best player ever you know you're probably not <laughs> so learning how to manage that I, I think is part of it have you did you learn that practice from like another you know mentor type pitcher or is that something you just kind of developed on your own no you know what what's interesting is that i think playing in la is there's a huge that's obviously a, a huge market and the, the media stuff is going to be unavoidable no matter how good you are. Um, you know, you look around and, and 
our bench players are very popular players, right? In the grand scheme of it. And, and that's part of playing in LA and, and that's not going to change as long as I'm there. So I think trying to figure out some sort of strategy or, or some sort of, um, yeah, I guess strategy is, is probably the biggest thing for me. I, I kind of learned it pretty quick though in, in 2017, kind of going through the minor leagues and, and, you know, you get one or two tweets that, oh, he threw this and he did good and the prospect and all that stuff. And then I got to the big leagues and was horrible. So I went from, you know, 50 tweets for the whole year of, of good things. And then right. I blew a game. My second outing in the big leagues, I gave up a grand slam and didn't get an out. And there's 200 tweets about why is this kid in the game. So you kind of feel that pretty quickly. Yeah. So you, you came up and joined a team that – ended up winning over a hundred games that year. Right. And, and 2017. Mm-hmm. So it, what was, what was that like? Cause usually as a top pitching prospect, top guy, you get eased into the big leagues and you get you know, that, that ability to start and, and go every fifth day and, and, you know, kind of be treated as that crown jewel. You had, it's a blessing and a curse, I guess, being a guy, the, the prospect for a, a really good team is that they felt like you could help them win as a hundred win team, but also your role is totally different than most players of your caliber at that age. That yeah, must I mean, have been, I, we're talking about the pressure. Like that's a lot of pressure for you to go in and, and, and try to succeed and help a, a already fantastic team win. Yeah. I would say that my answer to that is probably two part. So I spent a month in AAA before I went to the big leagues in the bullpen. So that was a whole new thing uh, for me. I had never done it before really, and really didn't adjust to it very well. Um, there was some, you know, some interesting things that, I don't want to say I was asked to do like I was in the major leagues and I was there to try and help us win. However, the front office thought I could do that was great. Um, but I, I never felt comfortable in the bullpen and and I just don't think it, it, you know, in a month, I don't know if I could have really. Uh, but the other thing is when I came up, I don't know if you remember in 2017, we were like the best team in baseball for the first four months and then they lost like 12 games in a row. And so my major league debut, we were down five runs on, on the road to like our 11th straight loss or something. So I came up to literally the best team in, the ba- in baseball, but also we like were playing awful. So people were not in a good mood. It, it was just a, it was an interesting time to get called up because it was, it was both hands, right? You're like, help us fix unbelievable, this. unbelievable <laughs> team. No, they, there was no pressure on that for me, but it was just, I was there at the worst time on the best team. Yeah. Yeah, it's, hey, welcome to the big leagues. We're all really pissed off right now. Uh, Now time to go make your debut. Um, Two Dodgers that I want to hit on in week one right now. The rookie, James Altman, and then Clayton Kershaw. And I'm going to save Kershaw for Aram. Um, Starting with Altman, I mean, this guy Mm -hmm. is taking baseball by storm right now. And this was, you know, an older prospect, right? He was Sacramento State kid. He was, you know, middle round pick. And He's always a year or so early, older than like the league average hitter at each stop, but he mashed in high A. He mashed in double. He mashes in triple. I mean, what are you seeing from James Alvin so far this year? Yeah, he's, you know, when he came up last year, I'll go back. So I remember hearing about Audi like three or four years ago, maybe. I think he came over and played in some big league spring training games. Maybe this was three years ago, maybe even 21. I don't know. They kind of run together at some yeah. point. I don't know how Kirk keeps any any of these years straight when he has 16 of them. But 
Uh, no, I remember. I remember he made a big play in a spring training game as kind of a backup guy. And everyone, oh, he's defensively really good, really strong. We just got to find him some power. And then the next time I saw him, it's like Homer, Homer, Homer. He's raking like he talked about. And so, again, a testament, and, and I think a big thing about our organization is this development of guys who can hit the ball hard but don't know how to hit home runs and figuring them out, right? Chris Taylor, Max Muncy, and now Altman, I, I think, is probably the next big example of that, right? So, um, yeah, he just he plays the game the right way, plays hard. Um, he's got the right amount of confidence for a hitter. I, I think there's different levels. I think if you're a starting pitcher, you've got to be borderline arrogant. At least that's the only way I know how to do it. Um, or you've got to be really, really, really humble. Um, you know, I think Kirsch is a great example of that, but you also wouldn't say that he's unconfident, right? Like he's extremely confident, extremely humble, or you've got to be extremely confident and that's it. And I, and I, those are the two ways you can do it. The hitting, the hitting thing's a little bit different. You've got to be steady, right? And, and mentally, okay, you watch him, he just went 0 for 11 with nine punch outs this weekend and then two for three, two for three, you know, it's just, for a young guy to do that, I think it's very difficult and, and really telling. Um, but yeah, we got him, you know, the swing and last year he punched out a little bit more than I think he would want to. And and now he's not chasing and balls get left in the middle and he hits him out. And I, I think that's what every hitter kind of wants to be. And, and that's, you know, the Max Muncy model is take balls and hit strikes for homers. And, and I think Audi's, you know, doing a really, really good job of that. So I, I want to segue this now to to Kershaw because you mentioned him there and and it, what stands out to me so he had that incredible outing I guess it was two outings ago maybe maybe three now and it, to to the point where you even tweeted and I'm paraphrasing I don't have it in front of me but it was along the lines of like if you want to know why why Kershaw is the goat like just watch this start that he just had yeah. and it was it was the first inning it was you so, said that in the first yeah, yeah I said, said watch the, the first, first inning. inning oh you said watch so, the first inning. I thought you, meant you said yeah, that in the first and like already knew he was, he was set for the day. Like you knew, he so was I had no, I, you know, obviously nobody knew like how the rest of the outing was going to go. Right. But he gave up a, a ball went to right Hayward completely uncharacteristic. One of the better defenders we've ever seen out there, son, whatever, something happens. It's a triple. And then he punch out, punch out, punch out first inning, huge momentum swing towards them, man on third, nobody out. And then erases their momentum goes on, gets it back for us, and and now we start rolling, and, and so does he, right? Like, that's that's why he's so good. I, I think the biggest thing is he can do that. And in that situation, it's so difficult to do that, number one, and number two, to do it efficiently, right? Like, you know you're hunting punch-outs for two straight guys, the number two and three hitter on arguably one of the more talented teams in baseball, and he does it efficiently, right? Like, that's the caveat. Some guys can get out of that situation. Other guys can do it in 21 pitches or 18 pitches, whatever he did. it. And, and, and to follow up on, on that, what, what stood out to me the last start and something I was really excited to just ask you about is I, we saw this a little bit with, with CC Sabathia in the way that, you know, as the velocity went down, he finds the cutter, he kind of adjusts the way that he attacks hitters. And all of a sudden he finds a way to be, you know, pretty effective in, in the back half of his career. I think Kershaw is an even more extreme example of that. Cause this guy just, you know, hits his spots like none other. And you talk about like the, the confidence and, or, or being almost too humble or whatever it may be. 
With Kershaw, though, you can see what the expectations are on himself. Watching the start yesterday, he throws two balls in a row, and I mean, like, just missing his spots. And and you can see how pissed he is at himself. And also, just like these little movements that you can tell are like cues for himself to get himself back. Mm-hmm. This guy knows himself maybe better than any pitcher, you know, that that has towed the rubber in a long time. Um, I want to get into like pitch usage and 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 how that can also pertain to you. And as you look at, you know, the next phase of your career and, and longevity and, you know, trying to find different ways to get out as guys compile at bats against you. But specifically with Kershaw's just pursuit of greatness as one of the best left-handers to ever do it. You know, there's so many answers to this, but I kind of want to boil it down and almost oversimplify it and leave it to you. What makes him so great? Because you get to see him do his work. You get to see him on the big stage. You get to interact with him and see how he's wired. It's probably all of the above in the way that he approaches all of those aforementioned things. But you know, to you, like what are a couple of the things that really stand out from Kershaw that, that make him that much different than everybody else? Um, I will answer this question. I have some things I'm already thinking of, but I would like to put a little something out there. The CC Sabathia, like, idea and how he kind of reinvented himself a lot of backdoor cutter john lester did the same thing guys that were 94 97 and then learned how to start doing other things like i don't think kirsch has ever really done anything differently um like when you watch a guy that's 90 92 right like very rarely are you in your head saying this is a power pitcher yeah and kirsch still very much pitches that way right it's fastballs in it's sliders under occasional curveball, like it, he's no different than he was. It's just what you see on the board, right? And the hitters don't know that it's any different either because his fastball gets on people. I play catch with him. It's kind of, it's nowhere close to anything normal for a guy that throws 92, 93. Now it, it just feels different than that. Everything he throws does. And so I think that's probably the biggest testament or, or the biggest result of all the reasons why, like what I know about him, like he's kept the same mentality probably since his first start would be my, my guess. Obviously I missed a large portion of his career, um, but I, I don't think that he does anything differently than he did his first start. Got you. All right. Um, two quick things, non Dodger related before we let you go for week one. Um, I, I want to talk, horse racing a little bit because right. we're, we're right on the Kentucky Derby. They run this weekend. You're going to be there. Um, you had an ownership stake in authentic who won the 2020 Kentucky Derby also won what set the track record at Keeneland. Right. And like, listen, my dad's from Louisville. I grew up loving horse racing and I know Aram like hasn't been around much horse racing, but there is nothing better than a weekend day spent at Keeneland in Lexington. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can uh I'm sure you can confirm that. But what made you want to get into that? And also, real quick aside, I knew you were competitive as hell watching you as a pitcher, but when Bob Baffert trains the horse that you have an ownership stake in, I knew you were like really, really competitive. <laughs> no, so it's funny. So that's not that story. I guess it's kind of known around that I had yeah, I owned part of Authentic. I owned five one thousand of one percent of authentic. <laughs> no, no one has to know that part though. You get a minority stake. I can cut well, that what from I the tell, <laughs> No, what I will tell you is, is it's actually one of the coolest things and, and something that people don't know about, and I don't understand why. Because 
there's so many people that grew up in Kentucky and I think the, the horse racing thing is just part of the way we grow up. Right. My, my favorite story to tell people is when you're a junior or senior at my high school, shout out to Henry Clay high school. Yep. If you tell the attendance ladies that you are going to see Dr. K, they will let you out of school excused to go to chemo. That's awesome. That's unbelievable. So this, this thing is kind of part of where I'm from. That is great. I love that. So have you been to Santa Anita? I mean, I know that's probably like uh, an hour or so. So Bob, the, the first time I really got to know Bob at all, well, they came and threw out a first pitch at the stadium, him and Mike Smith. They had won the Triple Crown with American Pharaoh. And they came in through a first pitch and I just ran out. I was like, Hey, I'm from Lexington. So nice to meet you. You know, whatever. And one of our media guys, who's a big horse racing guy, I was like, Hey, like, if you want to go over there, you know, one of the mornings to watch him run, let me know. And I was like, That'd be great. So I go over and end up hanging out with Bob for until noon. So we, I got there at five 45 in the morning, we just walked around the barn, hung out and have become really close. And I actually lived with him for two weeks during COVID. Uh, when I first got to LA, which is kind of wild, but it, you know, that's just kind of the human that he is and Hey, you don't have a place to come live. And him and his wife are, have been awesome to us. So, but long story short during 2020, he texts me, he's like, Hey, get on this website. You can buy, um, a little piece of authentic. And this, this website is called my racehorse. So essentially what they've done, they actually kind of changed the way horse racing is, a thing you can micro share these horses. That's cool. So I bought five micro shares for like 200 bucks a piece in authentic. So then when I went to the Breeders' Cup, obviously I couldn't go to the Derby, but I went to the Breeders' Cup that year, which was at Keeneland. And we got to go in the winter circle. That's awesome. For the Breeders' Cup. But you, you spend 200 bucks on this, you know, small piece of a horse and you're an owner, right? You get a thing, you own the horse. So you can walk around the paddock. You can kind of be a lot more involved than, than you normally would be. It's, I think it's one of the coolest so things cool. ever. I, I didn't, I, there's so many things out there. You have just no idea that exists that that could get me into horse racing. I could just pretend I, I own oh, I'll, I'll buy go, one. Can I yeah, so one small share of like a lower level horse? Probably get in there yeah. for like 75 bucks. Right. Yeah. We'll see I mean, it's it's one of the coolest things. <laughs> that is really cool. All right, Walker Bueller, last one for you. And this is like the thing that I think drives a lot of people. Um, like it's it's the burning question in a lot of people's mind. Why the tight pants? Um, honestly, it's at, at Vanderbilt, we wore these pants called Clemson Cut Pants. Our head coach coached at Clemson for a long time um, and brought that look to Vanderbilt. So for three years and probably the most successful three years of my career. That's what I wore. And it weirdly just kind of stuck for me, but um, I, I am seeing a lot of guys wear them these days. I think, I think it's a thing, you know, I, to me, that's kind of how pants, how they're supposed to be worn, you know, in like the early 2000s, mid 2000s, everyone was wearing big baggy pants and stuff. And dude i'm small and then it just doesn't look good you've got to be a big human to wear the baggy pant like Corey seager wears the pants he should wear they're baggy but he's huge yeah. and they look right on me they do not Perfect. because the i'm so skinny in my butt and whatever and it doesn't 
for that to work right, there has to be like a curvature and then it go out. And for me, that just wasn't ever really a thing. Um, Sounds like you got a squat more, man. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, <laughs> yeah. I, I've tried for so long. It's, I don't know, but I could never pull them off and I could never, I never felt like I could pull them off. And um, no, the tight pants thing is funny, man. I, I don't think they started that tight. And I think every year they just kind of get a little tighter or I get fatter or something. I don't know, but um, no, I, they're just, it's just what I know how to wear. And I don't wear them on, like, if I don't pitch, I'm not wearing them. I wear like baggy, comfortable pants, but there's, you know, I put those tights on and go out there and try and get people out. I, that, that gets you, that gets you in your mode. Just once yeah, the I pants are squeezing the legs, that, that gets you locked it, in. Um, it's I, one of those things that like, if I, if I could go back like however many years now and say like, you don't have to do this, like this is going to be a thing and people are going to make fun of you for it and whatever. Like I would probably have chosen differently, but um it is funny. I, the only pants I have a funny story on. So one of our Kairos knows like, I have a World Series replica trophy at the house, and he got it to where it's a replica. You can get the bottom kind of engraved, and it says some. It's like it's not the time or place, Michael, which is what I said to the reporter when he asked me about. We lost to Atlanta, and so Forgot the bottom about that. So the bottom of my replica World Series trophy, it has that quote on it. I totally <laughs> forgot about that quote. Oh my gosh. I remember now where I was when I was reading that quote. Uh, that's a good one. It was pretty funny. Um, I have real quick before we let you go. I know we're we're already we're already running a little late here, but I, I have just one thing because I wanted to end on this on this positive note too. Uh, although that was an awesome story. Yeah. Um fans fans were so amped and it was really like there's nothing better than getting that like rehab update. I'm sure you must have been really excited a week ago to post that that video of you know yourself throwing 150 feet and just seeing mm-hmm. you know not only fans, teammates, former teammates, just like everyone wants to see like Walker Bueller back on the mound because you're one of the most fun guys to watch on the mound. But also it's just like it's almost a brotherhood a, a little bit too of just wanting to see mm-hmm. your guys healthy. Um, one thing that's always funny to me though is is you know there's always different forms of updates that come from teams sometimes it's velocity sometimes it's feet sometimes it's something else right. that's totally arbit- like random and whatever and i know that it's probably different in your mind we've seen updates of 150 feet we've seen updates of 88 miles an hour obviously all paint the picture of things are good which is the most important thing and what we love to hear but could you kind of just peel back the onion on like what what are the goals like each each spurt because like 150, I, I assume it's feet, right? You want to be able to throw yeah. from a further distance. Like, did you care that you threw 88 for, like, if it was 86, but you threw, felt good from 150 feet later, like, it, it's just as fine. Like, it, w- what are you looking for other than no discomfort and feeling loose and fresh? Like, what are the things that you're kind of looking for in those, you know, rehab and, and just momentum? Building, yeah. Uh, um, honestly, I can tell you in this particular case, I've only had them record me throwing twice it was the first time. And then the other day. And so I put them out there. Like it just kind of is what it is. I don't really, it's not that I hit some weird milestone and like put it out there. Like I, no, no. I was throwing 135 feet the week before. Right. Like it's not. Yeah. Um, but in general, like I think it's kind of interesting in, in terms of different organizations and different surgeons and different things, right. Like the protocols are different. So, um, you know, some teams are all about measuring it in velocity or, you know, you can wear a sleeve that'll tell you how much force is going into your elbow and, and things like that. 
and some teams just do it straight on you throw 60 feet today 70 feet tomorrow 75 feet whatever and so that's why you get so many different um in different ways to quantify where a guy at what where a guy's at when he's throwing right so I don't know. I, you know, I was throwing the ball 84 that day at 135 feet. It wasn't any special day, but um, I just happened to ask him to take a video of it and, and thought that uh, the, I, it's just honestly, just cause I liked the way that I was throwing the ball that I even put it out there. If I didn't like it, there's no first day at 90 feet and I feel terrible. Like I would never post that. <laughs> so uh, no, I, I felt good about it. So I put it out That's there. Awesome. Love it. Walker Bueller, appreciate you, man. And and the best part about this is we're not saying talk to you soon. We're saying talk to you next week, which is awesome. Yep. No, it'll be fun. I would say that was awesome, but like we're going to do it every week. Yeah, we're going to do it every week. So it was unbelievable, but let's move on. We're professionals. It's Walker Bueller. He's a he's a weekly guy for us now. We can't go get all uh, get all in our heads about it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, again, come back here every Monday for the Walker Bueller conversation uh, and come back Tuesday through Friday for other baseball conversation as well. Let's move on to this past weekend of the game because um, there is one like big game of the weekend that jumped out to me. Uh, one team playing really well and one team that's faltering. And then to wrap the show, we will walk through five unheralded guys in Peter Apple's opinion. The Easton McGee game on Saturday in Toronto caught me by surprise. This was a one nothing Blue Jay win in 10. It's really hard to sneak a big leaguer by me. Like, being a AAA announcer, I tend to see all these guys or at least see them on the stat portal or read about them uh, before they get up for their major league debut if they're in the PCL. But hand up, I didn't know who Easton McGee was. I had no idea either. And then I turn on the game and watch this guy throwing 89 to 90 and the Blue Jays couldn't do nothing with him. I thought I was like dreaming. This didn't seem real. He was no hit through six. Easton McGee's final line in his first career start. He had thrown three innings out of the bullpen, not with the Mariners. This was his first Mariner appearance. This was his first start in his big league career. Easton McGee, six and two thirds innings, one hit, no runs, two punch outs, one walk. He threw 64 pitches. I want to say the fourth and fifth went by in eight pitches, maybe 10 pitches. What the hell was that? Thought it was less. He was just getting his ground ball outs. And I love the line too. Six innings. What did he have? I think he had no hits, right? He finished the line with no hits. No, one hit. Just walked through it. Six and two thirds. So he threw it to the seventh. He got two outs in the seventh. One hit, no runs, two punch outs, one walk. That's the best. (laughs) One hit, two punch outs. So he's just getting, he's keeping the ball off the barrel, right? And that's the name of the game. And, but what did stink is they lost the game, even though they got a one hit performance. Kevin Gosman was unfreaking believable. The splitter set a whiffs record for an individual pitch, something that I don't see it ever being broken again. Over 20 whiffs on that splitter, punched out 13 guys. I we talked about at the beginning of the year could he take that leap to Cy Young contender and I think he's doing that right now yeah and he already looked like a Cy Young contender you know like front end of last year but really through the all-star break with San Francisco in 21 Kevin Gosman looked like that guy he tapered off um I, I think the thing that I was asking was 
would he become the unquestioned ace of the Toronto Blue Jays? And, you know, you were selling high on Manoa. I think Aram was kind of selling high on Manoa. I was like, I mean, these guys, like, they're co-aces. Manoa had like a 2-3 last year. Uh, Gosman, without a doubt right now. After that performance, he didn't get the win. They won one nothing in 10 again. But seven innings, shutout ball, 13 punch-outs, one walk. This guy lowered his ERA to 2-3-3. After that blow-up start in Houston, I want to say last weekend or the weekend before, this guy is the unquestioned ace of the Toronto Blue Jays. Alec Manoa, single worst expected ERA among all qualified starters. You heard me correctly. Seven X ERA. The worst among all qualified starters. And for Mariners fans, it definitely stinks. You get an incredible outing from Easton McGee and you lose in a 1-0 game because your offense didn't show up. But is it any worse, and I think it is, than Lance Lynn starting the game with a no-hitter and then losing 12-3? to You don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. In a a, good way or a bad way? No, no, as a person, as a nice guy, you don't deserve this kind of pain and another loss today. You went a little too far saying as a nice guy, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about that, but um, yeah, I mean, it's weird. And like, I was actually going to highlight something else in that game. So yeah, oh. Lance Lynn was no hit through six <laughs> um, and they lose 12-3. The okay. thing that I wanted to highlight was Luis Robert Jr. being pulled by a managerial decision because apparently he had tight hammies that he didn't tell anybody about. Oh, yeah, we could talk about that also on top of what's been happening. Yeah, so which one do you want to start with? Which one do you want to start with? What pains you the most? Is it your best player has, quote, unquote, in hamstring issues, for those watching on YouTube, I'm being very serious about that, and not jogging to first base when he easily could have. It's not one of those things where it's like, you know, it would have been a bang-bang play if he ran it out. He would have been easily safe. Yeah. Just didn't run down the line. Eloy Jimenez got his batting average up over 200, though. Uh, I think it's back down. Ah, it was up there for a minute. Yeah, I think he had a rough go on Sunday, and I think it's down. It's 7-5 through 8. The Rays are beating the White Sox. Okay. Eloy Jimenez is 3 for 4, so he's at 215. Good That's for what I'm saying. Way. Hitting his weight. Come up, man. Yeah. This is Jake Berger. Stuff. Um, Jake Berger has been the only bright spot and and like even Cease has struggled, man. I mean, Cease just lost to Tampa on Friday. Uh, here's the thing. Lance Lynn, six, no hit. He was clearly pissed off because we, we mentioned it. Steve Stone, the TV analyst hopped on the score and said, um, if he wants to improve his cardiovascular endurance, he should maybe try eating a couple salads. Like Mm. what a dick thing to say. And then Lynn comes back out and, and shoves. But then the wheels fall off. And like, again, on Sunday, the wheels fall off. They're up in the top of the eighth. Guess what happens? They're trailing after eight. Um, That, I think, was the worst loss of the season on Saturday. And again, there have been a lot of them. There have been 22 of them to this point. They are 7-22. and They are tied with the Royals for the worst record in the American League. Uh, No, sorry, worst record in the AL Central. Uh, I think Oakland has fewer wins than the White Sox and the Royals. So, I mean, like, I didn't have the White Sox being in the A's and Royals conversation on my bingo card. But again, what can you have on the bingo card going into a season? I, I put out as of Sunday morning, 
the Cardinals are 10 games back of the Pittsburgh Pirates on April 30th. Not on my bingo card. Not on my bingo card at all. They've had some dominating wins too. 16 to 1. And it's hard to win both games of a doubleheader. And they did it. Now, their competition wasn't exactly the most challenging when you're throwing up Patrick Corbin and Chad Cool on the Washington Nationals. But you have to give these Pittsburgh Pirates credit because they are getting so much production from guys that you've either never heard of or you forgot they were on the Pittsburgh Pirates. How about Vince Velasquez lowering his ERA to around 3.0? How about Rich Hill, who just continues to get outs? Mitch Keller is real. Rowanzi Contreras is real. And Yoan Oviedo? Oviedo. Oviedo. I I bet the Cardinals wish they still had him. So Oviedo, it was a weird arc to his career. And I I think I've talked about it for a minute. But Johan Oviedo was a good reliever, a not good starter with St. Louis. And he was the primary piece going back in the Quintana deal. It was Quintana and Chris Stratton, who's a bullpen arm. For Oviedo and Malcolm Nunez, who's like a corner masher, he plays first base and DHs. Um, but Oviedo was the guy that I think the Pirates like ID'd a starting pitcher. And out of spring, it was okay, Brubaker's hurt. Oviedo was probably headed to Indy, but now that Brubaker is out, it's probably Oviedo is the five, and now he looks excellent. Um, I mean, Jack Sawinski's playing like an all-star right now. He's got a 10.38 OPS in 22 games. Connor freaking Joe, man, has played 24 games. He's hitting 290 with a 960 OPS. Brian Reynolds hitting 320. Rodolfo Castro, who's huge in the absence of O'Neill Cruz, hitting 290, has an 850 OPS. This team has an 800 OPS. They have a 350 OBP. Miguel Andujar was great for Indianapolis. Then he goes to Pittsburgh and has a hell of a doubleheader. Even the backup catcher, Jason Delay, is hitting 390. Every single player on the Pirates. Games. In 14 games. Carlos Santana is getting his. Brian Hayes, which is funny, you know, is supposed to be, you know, Brian Reynolds is the star of this team, but Brian Hayes is the all-world defender. And he hasn't really gotten going yet. I don't know if he ever will truly get going to the level of potential that a lot of us want from him. But even him playing that great defense, if he can be a league average hitter, he's valuable. And this is all without O'Neill Cruz, which I think is the most amazing part of it. They yeah. lost O'Neill Cruz, and it was like, oh, well, that was kind of a fun thing for a little bit. Nah, doesn't matter. Everybody on this roster is contributing, and they might have the best closer in Major League Baseball right now in David Bednar. So I was going to say, that list changes all the time. The best relievers in the game yeah. is like as volatile a list as you can find. Um, I was going to ask, is David Bednar a top 10 reliever in the game right now? Like, you're willing to go higher, like top five. Oh, I mean, if we're just looking at right now, like just straight up, we're taking only 2023 and not looking any other direction. How can you not say Bednar is the best reliever in baseball right now? Every single time he comes in, I think he's what, leading the league in saves? Yeah, he's got nine saves. ZRA is what, 0.5? 0.7, yeah. I mean, unbelievable. The the total line on him, 13 innings, eight hits, one earned. He's got nine saves and 10 opportunities. 13 innings, he's got 17 punch outs and one walk. And the thing about Bednar that's so much fun, like, yes, he's got some secondary offerings, but that, like, stocky guy, not the tallest, not the lankiest, like, he's a fire hydrant on the mound. 
I think he could flip his glove up. Like he could flick his glove up and say a four seam fastball is coming. Try and touch it. Just rides at the top of the zone and it's hard to make contact with it. Crazy. So fun to watch Bednar closeout games. It, this Pirates team is so like fun. hilariously awesome. And they are the best team in the National League as it stands right now. Like, do I think that they're the most talented team in the National League? No, yes. absolutely not. But right yes. now the vibes <laughs> couldn't be better. And you can raise that MF Jolly Roger, man. All right. Walk me through five undervalued guys you think are having really nice starts of the year. Yeah, so I compiled a list. Uh, I called it a top five. It's not actually a top five. It's just five guys, when I've been watching baseball, crazy under-the-radar seasons on teams that you probably don't turn on the TV to watch. But I've just felt enamored in, and I felt every single time when I need them in a bet or whether I just turn on the game to watch, they are coming through and I want to give them their shine because, you know, we talk about the pirates. We talk about a lot of these teams that are doing well, but even on teams that aren't doing too well, there are hidden stars that are really fun to watch. And of course, if your favorite player, favorite under the radar player doesn't make this list, don't hold it against me. We'll be doing this all the time, bringing up names just like we do every single day. So first we're going to start in Oakland and we're going to look at Brent Rooker. I mean, the 28 year old, He's been, you know, he was a Minnesota twin for a while. He's bounced around the league, uh, but he's now hitting 340. Yeah, 340 with a 1,200 OPS and eight home runs for the Oakland A's. You turn on an A's game and you look around the lineup and you're like, all right, it's Stu Ruiz. If he gets on, he is a demon on the base pass. That's someone exciting. But then it gets really, really dry. You know, Ryan Noda can maybe hit you a little bit of a home run. But this A's offense has been scoring, and it's really on the backs of Brent Rooker. And another reason why I like Brent Rooker a lot, not only is he in the 100th percentile of hard hit rate, he's barreling the piss out of the ball. Every single ball that comes off his bat feels like a rocket. But you expect like a big righty who's 28 to just be like a lefty masher, right? You might think he has some C.J. Crone in him, that he's just a splits guy, you face him against a righty, and he's got no chance. But against those soft toss and lefties, he can hit some bombs. But how about this? Brent Rooker, against right-handed pitching this year, is hitting 381, 519, 786 with a 1305 OPS. He has more walks than strikeouts. Five of his eight home runs are against righties. And against lefties, he's got a 900 OPS. He's just hitting everyone, anywhere, anytime and it's so cool to see a 28 year old really have a resurgence like this i think everybody should be rooting for brent rooker right now so brent rooker he's small sample we're a month into the season we are a month into the season brent rooker has an isolated power number of 394 you do not see that ever he's got a home run percentage which is literally the amount of plate appearances that result in a home run 10%, 9.8%. Like what you come to the plate five times in, in game one of a double header Rooker probably going to go, you know, two for five, right? Game two percentages indicate that he's going to hit a home run that game. Like it's incredible what he's doing right now Uh, in, in an orthodox way. I'd say he's walking more than he has in any big league cameo that he's made before he's striking out less than in any big league cameo that he's made before he's hitting the ball on the ground less than he ever has before. 
And like, he's not really pulling the ball right now, which is interesting. 25% pull rate. Like, I think he's just having an out-of-body experience where like everything looks great and he's shooting hard hit baseballs up the gut, elevated, and they happen to leave a very pitcher-friendly ballpark. I mean, this guy's probably the hottest hitter in the game. What I think is awesome is that the Oakland A's have scored 108 runs this season. He's got 20 RBIs. He's driving in like a fifth of 20% of the offense. Yeah. 20% of the offense. I think that's incredible. Should we get on to uh, number two on my list? Yes. All right. Jonah Heim of the Texas Rangers, I think, is developing into one of the better catchers in Major League Baseball. So we already knew that Jonah Heim was this incredible pitch framer. He's always near the top of these lists. Maybe not number one like Jose Trevino was last year of the New York Yankees, but he's always up there. He's got a good arm. He was always known as this defensive catcher. But in the last couple of seasons, the bat is really starting to show up. Now, he put up a 697 OPS last year. Wasn't great, but the power was there. 16 bombs, 20 doubles for a catcher in 127 games. That's pretty ideal, right? If you can get a really good defensive catcher who's going to hit you between 15 to 20 bombs and not be a liability at the plate, That's an everyday starting catcher. That's a good catcher in Major League Baseball, considering that offense isn't a catcher's strong suit, at least in Major League Baseball. Now, there's new catchers coming up, but at least at this point, a 697 OPS for a catcher is pretty average. But this season, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and we we know defense is a strong suit for Heim. Like, he's not a bad first catcher that sucked. No, he's a glove first catcher that put up an average offensive season. So if you're one of the best defenders and you're a league average hitter, it's not too bad. It's not too bad at all. But this season, four bombs, six doubles in 23 games, 900 OPS, 284 batting average. But what I'm looking at is the 372 on base percentage. The walk rate is spiking. He's making really good swing decisions. And if you look at a lot of his advanced numbers, this is only expected to get better because of how well he puts bat on the ball. Hits the ball really hard, and he hits a lot of different pitches, right? He's hitting 455 against off-speed, 286 against breaking balls. So it's really hard to get this guy out, and he's dropped his ground ball rate by almost 10% since his rookie year, down to 32%. He is crushing baseballs and remains one of the best defenders in Major League Baseball and is currently number one in pitch framing. Yeah. This guy, man, I mean, the Rangers needed kind of one of these guys to step up to really take that next step, and Jonah Heim is doing it in droves. Well, and Adolis looks like he's doing it too in the outfield, and we knew Garcia was talented. We knew that he could string together good years. I mean, he was, what, a 28-year-old rookie, but he had a great rookie season. Adolis Garcia actually looks like a guy that can play for the Texas Rangers into his early to mid-30s. Uh, I think Haim kind of fits that mold too. And, you know, obviously, yes, you still see catching prospects, but I think there's less urgency behind the plate now for Texas. Didn't they give Mitch Garver an opportunity in recent years? Like they, they've given a couple guys auditions behind the plate, hoping that the perfect one would come along. And I think that this is the perfect stopgap until you get that marquee catching prospect that's starting to make their way through each organization as catching becomes cool again so 
I, I can really appreciate what Haim is doing. And I hope that there has been a concerted effort to change the approach that has resulted in the much higher batting average. And like you're saying, the much higher OBP. If you had to slap an end of season OPS on him, it's not 900. No, I don't think it's 700. But if he's 780 to 800, that's a really good player. Oh, that's one of the best catchers in Major League Baseball. If he puts up a 780 OPS with 20 bombs and plays that level of defense, he's a top six, seven-ish catcher in Major League Baseball. But the thing is, and this is another thing I wanted to point out, 1,044 OPS in April of last season. What I really want for him is to not take that dive similar to what he did last year. So it's someone to monitor. If he can keep up this level of production, he becomes one of the best catchers in the game because of his defensive acumen. Yeah. Moving on, we're going to stay out West. We're going to stay out West, but we're going into the National League, and we're going to talk about a San Francisco Giant. And his name is Tyro Estrada. And he's played a lot of games at second, but he can play some short, and he can play some left field. And if you put him in right field, he'd be totally fine. He's like a Swiss Army knife utility guy for the San Francisco Giants. And he's just straight up one of the best hitters in the National League West. He's hitting 347 with a 929 OPS on the backs of a 535 slugging and a 394 on base percentage. Four home runs, eight steals. He's not striking out at all. And I'd like him to walk more. But again, cutting down the ground ball rate, hits off-speed pitches, hits breaking balls, crushes fastballs. It's really hard to get this guy out right now. And Tyro Estrada is a guy who feels like he's been around forever, right? Tyro Estrada, I feel like I've heard his name on 12 different teams. But really, he got his start in Major League Baseball with the Yankees and never really amounted to much, but then moved to San Francisco in his first season in 2021, he was injured a lot, but put up an 812 OPS. Then in 2022, full season 722 OPS, but was 14 bombs, 21 stolen bases, and now is off to this crazy start. Like he's 27 years old, and he's a good player. Like he has been a pretty good player. Injuries have been rough, but he's got a good approach at the plate. I want him to walk more. But you can see a very, very solid utility guy with Tyro Estrada. The fact that he can play all different positions and he could realistically be a 2020 guy with these new rules. Like last year, he stole 21 bags in 140 games. He's obviously off to the races, stealing much more bags because he could he steal 25? Could he get up near 30? Maybe not. But is 25 reasonable with 15 to 20 home runs? That's a great player. Shout out Tyro Estrada. He is the only good thing going on in San Francisco right now. And like you can point to Lamont Wade and say, okay, like what about Lamont Wade? And yeah, Lamont Wade is, you know, he he just had a homer in the first inning again in Mexico City on Sunday. Um, Lamont Wade, while he is OPSing around 950, Lamont Wade has a 0.9 war so far. I'm going B war right now. Tyro Estrada is nearly double that right now. Lamont Wade is second on the Giants in war at 0.9. Tyro Estrada is at 1.6. He is more than double Mike Yastrzemski, who's third at 0.7. There's not a one-win player on the San Francisco Giants other than Tyro Estrada right now. So I, I guess the question becomes, 
if a team is willing to pay a premium for a dynamic, defensively versatile, solid hitter that you mentioned is a 2020 threat or a 2025 threat, should you move him for prospect capital? Absolutely, they should. They should absolutely deal him after this first half. No doubt about it. And he, But the thing is, it's not just, oh, let's take advantage of a first half. I do think he's a pretty solid player. He's 27. I thought he might be 37, but he's yeah. 27. So Tyro Estrada hits his first year of arbitration next year. Uh, Estrada in his career is a 750 OPS guy. Hits 270 with a 330 on base. I will take that on my That's team. A good player. And if he can play multiple positions, I mean, hell, he can play second. He can play short. He can play short. Like he can play, play shortstop left. for you. Yeah. Like I, I don't, not in division, but he feels like a good Dodger ad and they have the prospect capital to do it. I could see that. My Yankees could use them because they suck. Um, all right. Let's get him back. I don't know why we let him go in the first place. Um, next up on the list. Oh, also one thing more about Tyro Estrada. Second in war among all second basemen. Yeah. All of them. Who's Great ahead? Son. Uh Marcus Semyon. Yeah. Yeah. He's been pretty damn good. Uh next up, we're going to the pitching side and we're going to the American League Central to talk about Eduardo Rodriguez. Now, we talked about him last year, and he was off to a fine start, right? He was off to a pretty good start. Not great, but fine. 4.05 ERA last year, but he only threw 91 innings because of some off-the-field stuff that I prefer not to dive into at this current moment. What I do want to dive into is the fact that he has been a top-four left-handed pitcher in all of baseball this season. You know, all we do is debate who's the best lefty. Is it Max Fried? Is it Julio Arias? Is it Shane McClanahan? Is it Framber Valdez? Eduardo Rodriguez has been in that conversation up to this point. Now it's early, but Eduardo Rodriguez among left-handed starters is fourth in ERA at 2.21, but is first in innings pitched at 36 and two-thirds. He's also second among all left-handed pitchers in expected ERA at 2.95, posting the lowest walk rate of his career, and he's throwing it wherever he wants to, right? It's not like he's seen this huge velo tick up, but the cutter that he's throwing is unhittable. Opponents are only hitting 074 against the cutter with an x of 277. That's crazy low. Opponents can't hit his fastball. They're hitting 214. Opponents not hitting his sinker or his slider. It's the only thing that opponents are having, you know, decent success off is that changeup. But it's not a pitch that he throws all that much. He's just getting outs. He's limiting hard contact. He's not walking anybody. And he's getting the ground ball when he needs it. Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy throughout his career who's a 4.08 ERA guy, but that's on the backs of a tough 2016, which was his second year and his last season in Boston. He's really been a high threes guy. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I wanted to bring him up, perfect trade candidate at the deadline for the Tigers if they want to cash in on Eduardo Rodriguez. I know that he still has the contract, so it's not like you're going to get a ton for him. But a team at the deadline is going to be pretty desperate for starting pitching. And if this guy is at a three ERA at the all-star break, 
the Tigers could get a pretty package for him. Yeah, like I think this is a, a trade candidate. Great example. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is a perfect St. Louis Cardinal. Exactly. Um, so like that's how I view him. When I said that Tyro Estrada was the only good thing happening for the San Francisco Giants, I mean it when I say Eduardo Rodriguez is the only good thing happening for the Detroit Tigers. Matt Vierling is pretty good. Okay, so <laughs> I was I was actually going to point to the offense here. Um, there are three guys, three qualified hitters. So that means 20 or more games. I, actually, shit, like 18 or more games. Um, with an OPS plus over 100. So okay. league average, three above league average hitters. Zach McKinstry has a 138 OPS plus. McKinstry been solid. Veerling and Kerry Carpenter, who's on the IL. So Matt Veerling, though. Just for reference, OPS plus. Riley Green has an 81. Okay, okay. bad. That's not, not a ideal. Spencer Torkelson has a 63. Not ideal. Javier Baez is a 57. That's... How much money is he making? Rome has fallen. He's six years, 140. Okay. For Baez. Maybe he could be a trade candidate. Yeah. They could get Gregory Soto back, maybe. I mean... <laughs> no, but shout out the Tigers, though. Matt Veerling and Nick Maton for Gregory Soto. I mean, what a trade. Phillies, like, they could weather it because they didn't really need Veerling or Maton. Like, they were good bench pieces. So it's not like, oh, Phillies, you completely got fleeced. I, I've seen a lot of that. It's like, oh, Phillies. It's it's one thing when it's like the Phillies knew what they were doing and they needed a guy like Gregory Soto, but the Tigers did so well in that deal. Matt Veerling is hitting leadoff and is a above-average hitter. Just getting him would be great. But even Nick Maton has been fine. He has a walk-off home run to his name. He's been pretty solid. Like, the fact that they got two everyday guys for a reliever, I thought the Tigers did an incredible job in that deal. Yeah. Should I move on to the last under-the-radar player? <laughs> sure. Okay. This one's kind of funny. But kinda? he has been nails. Right? Eh. You know who I'm about to bring up. He's been nails. What do you want me to say? Eh. I'm shouting out under the radar guys on teams that nobody's turning on the TV to watch and nobody's watching Rockies games, but I am. And I've been seeing 33 year old Harvard graduate learned scholar, Brent Suter shove. Let me read you what he's above the 95th percentile in average exit velocity, 99th percentile. His hard hit rate is 14.6%. You know where that places him? Number one in Major League Baseball. His expected ERA is 2.03, which puts him in the 94th percentile. Expected batting average? 96th percentile because opponents are expected to hit 154 to this point. How about slugging? Is he giving up hard contact? Nope. 191 expected slugging, and then the barrel percentage is also in the 94th percentile. Now, he's not shiny. His fastball velocity is in the first percentile, and that's not good. You want it to be in the red. And yeah, like, is he throwing his four-seam fastball 85.6 miles an hour? Yeah. Is he smarter than you? No doubt about it. Brent Suter, among pitchers who've thrown at least 16 innings, is number one in ERA at 
And what makes it more impressive is that he's pitching on the moon. He throws a Coors Field. Give the man his credit. He's shoving at 85. And I watch him, and I'm like, how the hell is this even possible? But it's happening, and I'm here for it. Big number here, or big letter here, I should say, is E in ERA. Earned run average. Yeah. Seven runs, two earned. Okay. Your point? My point is shit can spiral and it can be unearned runs because you have a timely error. What is this exercise for? This is shouting out under the radar guys. For sure. For sure. Having great starts to the year. 100%. Brett Suter cares about those seven runs. They're unearned. They aren't his. (laughs) I mean, he may care if that means the Rockies lost another game. Yeah, but they were going to lose anyway. Brett Suter has a sub one whip. I'll get it. I'll give him that. Look at Uh, that. Suter is a very smart guy. He did a weird dinosaur impression in the spring that kind of caught me off guard. And like, you just don't get it. You're not as smart as him. I don't get it. I'm not a dinosaur guy. Like, I don't. Get I'm a dinosaur guy. I I know. Like, without you telling me, I knew you were a dinosaur guy. Love dinosaurs when I was growing up. T Rexes, sure. Velociraptors, Triceratops, Pterodactyls. Always been a dinosaur guy. Yeah. Pterodactyl. How do you spell it? Next question. No, first letter of pterodactyl. What is it? P. P. Good shit, man. Yeah, I'm not an idiot. I'm so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Suter. Like, I don't know. My my one word analysis is trade. I don't know. Maybe the Rockies extend him. They've done it before. Probably they did it to like fuck it. Why not? But the Rockies, the Rockies have some sneaky good arms in the back of that pen. Justin Lawrence, another guy who kind of looks like Adam Ottavino clone. I think Lawrence has retooled a sweeper, um, so and, and this sweeper is, like, disgusting. And from that arm slot, it plays so well. I, I wrote up an article la- last week, I guess, beginning of last week on JustBaseball.com, pretty much defining the sweeper. Like, what is it? Who's throwing it best right now? And o- Otani's the gold standard of sweeper throwers. But in the bullpen, like, Justin Lawrence is a great example of that in Colorado. Kevin Kelly is a great example of that in Tampa. Because they come from that sidearm arm slot and that sweeper like sweeps even farther than a guy that's like over the top or three quarters that's trying to snap off, you know, a slider or a sweeper. So, yeah, I mean, Lawrence has been good. I think Pierce Johnson has been pretty good. Yeah. Um, ah, It's the Rockies. Yeah, that's that's kind of it. But Brent Suter, just when your head hits the pillow tonight. Just know that Brent Suter's throwing 86 and getting outs. He might be him. My kind of pitcher. He might be him. Schmidt might be him. (laughs) Yeah. Last thing I want to wrap on before we end the show. See what the A's have been doing. Cropping home runs so that you don't see the signs that say sell sell the team. Sell the team, John Fisher, on broadcast. They're like cropping that out when a guy hits a home run. Pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Stand by it. You know what you did. You didn't put a product on the field on purpose, and you're not going to do so for the next couple of years until you get to Vegas. Stand in front of your mistakes. You did this to A's fans, and there are plenty of them. I know there are. There are plenty of A's fans that listen to this podcast. They DM us. They say, thanks for sticking up. I am sticking up for you because you deserve it. John Fisher, you dickhead. Are you kidding me? Cropping it. It might not have been him, but it's definitely people in the A's front office being like, we can't have those signs, people seeing it. Come on. Yeah, I be guess, a man. 
I saw that story briefly. And I guess my one thought was like, wow, I applaud them for putting effort into censoring because they're not putting effort into roster construction. So. That's fucked up. I mean, come on. Stand in front of your mistakes. You intentionally put a bad product on yeah, the field. But like, here's the thing. I don't like that you're using the word mistake here because it clearly wasn't a mistake. True. It's a good you know point. I mean? Yep. Mistake is the wrong word. It was on purpose. So stand by it. Yeah. You're right. Mistake stand was by the your wrong decision word. to strategically leave the place that has housed your franchise for however many decades to go to the booming city in America. And like, Good business decision, for sure, but you did it in the shittiest way ever. A mistake is believing in the White Sox. A problem and doing it on purpose is what the A's have done. There's a difference. You can plug the merch now if you want. That was my friend Jack McMullen, who is a White Sox fan. Forgive him for his mistake being born in Chicago and liking the White Sox. Please get yourself some Just Baseball merch. Jack, take it away from the freaking screen so you're not shoving it in people's faces. Look at how it looks on our heads. Get yourself some Just Baseball merch. Hopefully you all enjoyed our first Monday episode with Walker Bueller. It will be happening every Monday. And the Just Baseball show is sponsored by BetMGM. It's one of the last few days to go get that promo. Get your free money. Wager $10 on any MLB game and get up to $100 in bonus bets. It won't last for long. Books don't just give out money all the time, but they are in the meantime, so go grab it while you can. And if you don't want to spend a dime, if you don't want to put your money in anything, no worries. If you could rate and review this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we'd greatly appreciate it. We're up almost a 1,000 five-star reviews on Spotify. Let's get us there. Really appreciate you guys all listening. We will be back tomorrow like we are every day. And with that, thank you, everybody.